think that that um, that like it's not just a fantasy that Phoebe's having about these two people that she cares about. That like that's actually what will end up happening. I, in her I life. think that Phoebe is so analytical and smart that I don't know. Low key, I think that that might be. I don't know. Phoebe sees it from an outside perspective, so I think that maybe it's kind of like a low key nod. That yeah, this is the truth. Like this is closer to the truth than anything that the either one of them like had in their dreams. Okay, I see. Which okay, it is worth so note I... that in Arnold's or uh, Helga's and Phoebe's, Arnold's hair is slicked back. Yeah, I love it. He like gets it under control. They're like, this boy needs to groom, groom himself. But we do see, funnily enough, in uh, episode in season one that, like, he intentionally combs his hair to look like that, like a little jackass. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's a hipster. Yeah, he's too hip. Um, so if, if people out there do not know yet, I need to set up something really quick. Just give me a moment. I... Sure. You got that big loud swallow. <laughs> I... I did manage to capture it right before we introduce ourselves. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Paige. I'm Chris. And this is Animates, uh, a podcast that's kind of leftist, but mostly about cartoons. Damn, I was going to like throw in a tagline, but I failed. That's okay. <laughs> Edit this out. <laughs> I don't even know. No, we're not editing it out. Are you kidding? Because... <laughs> it's just too great. It's too real. Because I don't even know what our tagline is. I'm going to think about a tag. Like, once we finish recording tonight, I'm going to think of a tagline. I promise. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you can't hear, we are talking once again about Hey Arnold. Because it's the greatest show ever. <sighs> okay, I don't... I'm not ready to proclaim anything the greatest show ever here on the second show we've watched. But, like, hot damn, it's a really good show. Yes. I, I certainly can't say if it's the best show ever because it's not Steven Universe. But, <laughs> but not, to, not to, like, tell you Show the future. Yeah, not to play all my cards yet. But um, it, it is and continues to be excellent. Yeah, great show. Um, okay. So we've... But... Yeah, we've continued watching for... Paige has finished the entire show. I'm, like, two episodes away from finishing the entire show for its entire five-season run. So we are both very much aware of what the show has to offer at this point. Yes. Um, also, just in case, like, you didn't hear us say this before... Uh, I have never watched, and I don't think Chris has watched recently, um, either Hey Arnold the, Arnold the Movie or The Jungle Movie. Um, so, like, we don't know anything about those to bring into this discussion. We did get to see the initial story about what happened to Arnold's parents, though. Oh, oh my God. That's definitely something I want to discuss. We can go ahead and discuss it. It was another. Like. It was another episode where I cried. Oh my god, I didn't cry, but I was inside, you know? Like, when I wrote my notes that I left at work today, I wrote, 
Arnold's parents, question mark, question mark, question mark. I cry, question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, <laughs> like, I was just, oh, <laughs> so many feelings. It was very, even if you don't cry, it's still a very emotional experience because you even, I don't know, that episode is where you see grandma turn into a normal human being for a moment. Because yeah, so the whole the whole precipitating thing that leads to this discussion of Grandpa finally telling Arnold about his parents is that Mr. Simmons wants to do like a family a parents day competition at like with all no the- those are two different episodes or oh wait no you mean the nope. original when Grandpa's like this is what happened to your parents I thought you were talking about the journal no my bad no my bad. Um, so the parents and the kids are going to get together and they're going to compete against each other in a variety of hilarious games. And at first Arnold's super into it because his, like, his grandparents are with him. The event does cause him to think a bit more about his parents. You know, we see grandpa telling Arnold a Indiana Jones-esque story about white people going in and stealing indigenous people's shit. Um, <laughs> and, but overall, it's like a clearly embellished story. Yeah, like and, it doesn't seem like it could be like a real thing. And so, and we, we know at this point that Grandpa has a very well-known tendency to embellish his stories. Yeah, he's a prolific teller of the big fish story. He, he does end up telling one big fish story that's true, which we may talk about because, oh, there's a lot to talk about in war this time. Oh, um, yeah. Ooh. Mm, that's all that delicious <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> but so Arnold is kind of thinking about his parents and then fucking Bob Pataki. The, oh, my God. If, if the start of the show didn't make you hate Bob Pataki, then the second half of the show will make you hate Bob Pataki, because he's the worst. <laughs> Bob Pataki's like like, fucking orphan. He calls, during the competition because He literally Bob, calls him an orphan. Bob Pataki wants to win so bad that he's, he taunts Arnold during a, one of the games. He's like, he says like, don't care, like you don't need to care about that orphan. He says to Helga and Arnold overhears and Arnold just freezes. And even Helga's like, wow. Dad, what the fuck? What the fuck? And he's it, like, Helga, I'm not going to lose to some orphan boy. And Helga's like, dad, what the fuck? And, and so Helga goes to apologize, which it's so bad. The way that I looked at it is that her dad's like, he transgressed so badly that she let down her, her guard, her guard yeah. to go apologize. And that's so important. Um, but Arnold's really sad. And so he asked Grandpa, tell me the real story about my parents. Like I, You and Grandma are great, and I've always kind of thought of you as my parents, but you're not my parents. So I want to hear about my parents. And... And Grandpa's basically like... Fair enough, Arnold. Well, because grandma also, like I said, so they're at dinner and Arnold's really depressed and Arnold leaves and grandma's 
she she's completely calm and completely in the grandma character, not playing like the ninja or the safari like, person. No, she's just Gertie. She's just Pookie. She's like, you you should go. He needs you. And that's how you know shit's serious. Yeah, she's literally like, Phil, like, he needs you. Like, you, Phil, you're what he has. You know, it's like, God damn. So he goes and he proceeds to tell the story about Arnold's parents. And the story basically amounts to they were archaeologists, like, they were archaeologists and his dad was a biologist and his mom was an archaeologist and they met in... Probably, Other way around, it turns out, actually. But anyway. So they met... <laughs> oh, so they met in the jungles of Peru. I, I I would say Peru, but it could be a couple of other uh, South American countries. Uh-huh. And they fall in love, and then they move back to the United States, and they have a kid. And Arnold is like two, and one of their old friends who used to travel with them comes back, and he's like, "Dudes, my village is being wiped out by a disease." And nobody will help us. And I know you can help. And at first his parents are like, we have a kid now. Like, we feel for you, but we have a kid. And then the, the dude gets really sad. And his parents decide to go. His parents decide to go. And they never come back. And you see, Pook, you see Phil and Gert, Gertie... Like wishing them off, and Phil's just said, like Phil's like we don't know what happened. They just never came back. Yeah, it's fucking heartbreaking. It is possibly one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in a television show of any kind. Like, let alone a show for children. But Arnold. Being Arnold takes it like a champ and it actually makes him feel better because he know that his, his he knows that his parents did it for other people, I think. Mm-hmm. Is, that's what I got out of it. And they go back. He goes back with Grandpa and Gertie to the competition and they fucking kick Bob Pataki's ass because Helga betrays Bob and it's so good. It's oh, so satisfying. It's so My satisfying. Because Helga's very aware that she 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 monologues the con she monologues the conflict. She's like Bob Pataki doesn't deserve to win, and if he wins, it is a mockery of victory. She I think she's she specifically says like it's a mockery, and I'm just like oh my god, Helga. Ugh. Yeah, Helga is incredible. Yeah, but um, which? Yeah, I don't. It's I. It's it's fucking heartbreaking. Like I just, I, like can't even deal with how heartbreaking it is. It's I don't know. It just I I it's not particularly noteworthy for. It's noteworthy because it's in a kid show and it's a very serious tale about parents leaving and dying and being an orphan and like having a surrogate non-traditional family and it just kind of like fits in that general theme of the show which is Arnold yeah. 
is an orphan, but not really. Because mm-hmm. he has a family. Yeah. And I think, well, another thing is that they actually, they leave it kind of open-ended also, whether or not, because, like, he could conceivably, you know, like, we know in real life, they're, like, in, if this was in real life, they're dead. But, like, in cartoon land, you know, conceivably his parents could be alive, right? And just stuck somehow. They could be. They certainly could be alive. And I don't, I haven't seen the movies, so. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, don't add us if you're mad about us leaving something out about his parents that if it's from the movies. <laughs> I cannot it, make this clear enough. Exactly. And, um. I just felt like that needed to be mentioned because it's such uh, it's such a poignant tragedy to have in a show. Yeah, I mean, okay, is is the journal like the one of the episodes in between us where you haven't you haven't actually seen the journal? It is potent. It, that is so. You you would probably have to talk about the journal. Okay, so the journal is, like, it's essentially a made-for-TV movie. It's two double episodes. It's a quadruple episode. Um, It's 45 minutes long. And Arnold gets all sad and upset about his parents for some reason. I can't remember what it is. And um, he, like, just gets mad and is like, I'm packing up all my parents' stuff. Like, you're not here. Like, I don't need this stuff around. And, of course, Gertrude and Phil are like, Arnold, what? No, hey, bud. Because they're like, this is not a good sign. Um, And even Arnold puts his hat in the box. So, but then they're up there in the attic for Arnold to put away all of the stuff, you know, about his parents. And, And for him to ask Grandpa to not give him any more bedtime stories about his parents. And they find a journal. They find a journal written at the time that his parents were in San Lorenzo, which is when they met and and got married and all kinds of other stuff happened. And so we get like a 45 minute long episode where there's a lot how they met and the things that they did and what was true in the stories grandpa told him. It turns out that like, honestly, what grandpa told him is mostly true. Like, his parents really were, like, incredible, adventurous people who did all these, like, amazing things. And, you know, they get to this point where they had Arnold in San Lorenzo, but they were like, no, this isn't, like, a good place for us to raise Arnold, and we want to be at home. And the end of the journal is Arnold's dad, Miles, being like, I'm so happy to, like, live near my parents and to see Arnold grow up here. And we're really going to miss Arnold while we take this trip to San Lorenzo, but it's okay because it's going to be a short trip. And it's like, oh, it's heart wrenching. And then also something you realize is like the reason that they went down there is it was some sort of like semi mythical indigenous society who they'd had a back and forth with for years where the green eyed people like save. Uh, Miles and Stella from a bunch of stuff and but then Miles and Stella will do something to repay them and they'll receive these like tokens of thanks and their friend comes back and tells them that the green-eyed people are suffering again from a plague that Miles and Stella had personally previously made medicine for them and saved them from so that's why they go 
Um, yeah, so that's it's a little richer, and it's it's really cool and like really like sad and melancholy at the same time. Dramatic irony. <laughs> well, right. at that point we know, so it's it's like watching events that we know don't end well. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Well, um, that motivates me to finish the show then because I feel yeah, like I should watch that. Yeah, if for nothing else for that episode, um, because it was the last one produced. It wasn't the last one aired, but it was the last one produced. And you can kind of tell at the end. So, like, spoilers here. Arnold is just sitting on the stoop with the journal, like, being kind of bittersweet. And then he moves something in the book and he finds a map. And he's like, this must be like the route through the jungle they took, like when they were last in the place that they were supposed to go. Um, And he just, the end of the episode is just him running inside yelling like, Grandpa, I found a map. And I think that that sets up Hey Arnold, the movie. Yes, that would be, that would be sensible. Sensible. Yeah. Um, So uh, to talk a little bit about I noticed a huge jump in animation quality at the beginning of the fifth season. Did you notice? I definitely noticed there was a change. What I normally notice when people get more money to make their shows is all of a sudden there are like way more shadows and lights on things. Backgrounds, um, super detailed and deep. Like there was a lot of depth, like Kind of the backgrounds they drew previously were kind of flat, but these yeah. new ones had a lot of depth to them. Yeah, I agree. I definitely noticed a lot more like light playing on people's faces and, and stuff like that. Clearer um, lines, more like five. brighter colors. Yeah. It had always like the backgrounds had always had sort of a feeling like they were chalk drawings. And um, that sort of went away. They didn't really feel as much like they were chalk drawings. Yeah. Uh, as they had, at least to me. There were different angles to more action. I don't know. They, they clearly went digital. So. Yeah, which is like a big thing that was, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that the sort of digital revolution um, in TV animation began in the late 90s. Um, so it would make sense that they were going digital at that time. I don't know. I mean, the Rugrats made in like 2001. Well, but the Rugrats made that switch as well after the Rugrats movie. So, Oh really? It it, it definitely fits this trend. We see where we're watching shows that go into the late nineties. And at some point the studios switch to digital animation. Yeah. And I think, um, the big difference you see is not necessarily like, I don't necessarily think that digital animation is better. Um, but I think it is a lot cheaper, um, to do stuff with. So you'll see like a lot of more like complex stuff happen. Um, that probably it was just too expensive for them to do when they were using hand animation. I'd have to speak to an actual artist to know the subtleties of, the differences and if it's truly faster or if it just facilitates certain things better, yada, yada. Those of you who are artists can fill us in. Yeah. Let us know at five, 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 five. No, don't just dial please. that number. Don't dial that number. 
Yeah. One aspect that really caught my attention was we talked a little bit about the Vietnam War during the last one because of Mr. Huynh. This time we get to talk about the war, both World War II and the Vietnam War, because of Grandpa and Gerald's father, who we find out was in the military and in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And we get to talk about so many good things packed into this tiny little episode. First of all, well, it is a double episode. Um, There's actually several double episodes in the last two seasons, which is interesting to me. Um, But so first of all, something I like to bring up is they explicitly have Gerald's father say that he was drafted. He specifically mentions draft dodging, uh, that people went to Canada and says that he thought about it like when he was drafted. Yeah, and he says that I decided... Yeah, but then he kind of... Okay, see, we're already getting into it because then he then he goes, I decided that I owe my country no matter what. And yeah. he's like... It no didn't matter re- what I thought about, like, what we were doing there. Yeah, so he like, basically... I still needed to serve my country. Yeah, he basically was like, my service was more important than whether, the like, I believed we were right in the conflict. And I was just like, no, you were so close. You were so close to taking a principled stand on this really Mm -hmm. terrible thing. Yeah. But they didn't, they shied away from it. Probably like I, they might've been threatened. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't think that they could have, I think that they would have preferred to have shown a draft Dodger, but they couldn't. Yeah. I truly don't think that they were in a public position to basically condone draft dodging to a whole generation of kids. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I get that. I feel, from the writer's perspective, I feel that. Um, So, Grandpa tells his story, which we think is an embellishment, but turns out to be completely and utterly true, which is he single-handedly win won the battle of the bulge which yeah. is a huge which because is a, of having bad potted meat which is a <laughs> the battle of the bulge is really interesting you should go look it up but the battle of the bulge was a huge turning point in the like the western arena and they're basically say like grandpa said he, like i have a secret mission and his secret mission which you get a little bit of product placement slash product defense here yeah because he's like i had to transport some bad cham which he specifically says is chicken and ham or chicken and yeah. beef byproduct and arnold's like wait but isn't that just spam and Grandpa's like, like, no, Spam is delicious and enjoyed by millions of people around the world. And it's made of <laughs> delicious ham products. So you can. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great moment. I loved it. It was hilarious. Um, they may have gotten a little bit of money from Spam. Yeah, for that. And he was like, Cham was like an experimental like potted meat, you know, like made by the U.S. Army between 1941 and 1942. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> So he's transporting this batch of cham, which is bad. Like, it'll make you sick. And he he 
stops on the road and he gets, you know, caught by some Nazis who, by the way, oh my Love God, the, oh my Nazis, God. the Nazis have all the typical regalia of a Nazi, including the eagle and the cross. However, their Nazi, no arm, their Nazi armbands are frowny faces instead of a swastika. God, I loved it so much. And I also wonder if that's one of those things where someone at the, like, they were just like, look, this is explicitly World War II. These are explicitly Nazis. We're putting a damn swastika on here. And if someone was at the network was like, you cannot put swastikas all over this tr- children's television program. Oh, We're absolutely. Fine. We'll just put frowny faces on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was something where the writers were just like, damn, we should have been able to put a swastika on there. But yeah. Okay. okay. So we're going to get into this, and I feel like this is the first trip down this road, which we are going to revisit multiple times in watching cartoons, and that is censorship. Not oh yeah, not um like true like the government is oppressing the people censorship, but networks. Just like what does the network tell you you can and cannot put on television? Networks and the FCC censoring usually based on people like the American Family Council got really mad about this thing. And the my favorite example of that is in Yu-Gi-Oh, the the, the show Yu-Gi-Oh is that Guards clearly are pointing guns at kids, but they remove the gun. So people are just like holding up a hand, clearly holding a gun, but there's no gun there. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, anime has some really great censorship stuff because WB was really into censorship. And yeah. well, it's interesting the things that I think you know, like I look and I was like, well, I bet the network wouldn't let them do that because this show actually really pushes the envelope um, in terms of like what is and is not appropriate to say on a children's show. They really push it with like swearing. You hear um, like mother, uh, like Frick or mother. There was one moment where I'm just like, they just literally said motherfucker. And all they did was change the, 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 the fucker part. (laughs) Um, in one episode, like simultaneously, you know completely from context and from the way his mouth is animated that Oscar is saying ass. Um, it's just that they don't let you hear it. And in that same episode, Mr. Potts says crapper. He says, like, there it goes right down the crapper. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, on the fishing episode, Grandpa. This is actually a great pun. I loved it. He was like, yeah, let's go fishing for the halibut. <laughs> right? You know, if, it's a oh, pun for, on halibut and hell of it. There's also, um, there's also, there was some sexy stuff that I forgot what it was. Um, uh, yeah, there was some sexy stuff. Uh, okay, I remember two of them. One of them is in the episode, The Journal, it's talking about, like, you get to the part where it's the, his parents' wedding night, and he's like, Grandpa's like, we went back to our cabin, and he like starts like reading to himself for a second, and he's like, oh, and he closes it, and he's like, Arnold, get me a sandwich, or like goes to order Chinese takeout, and then when Arnold leaves the room, like Grandpa like rips that page out and throws it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I haven't seen that episode, but I'm sure I'll laugh really hard. Um, and then the episode where um, Lila is training. 
Helga to like be like her. And she's like, oh, tell a witty anecdote. And Jesus Christ, her anecdote is like Bob comes home with like a bunch of Chinese food and Miriam comes out of the room. And like Helga does this like great impression of Miriam and like a hair fluff while she says it. And she's like, Chinese takeout. I thought you said we were going to make out. And I was like, oh, my. All the kids were horrified. <laughs> I um... So that's a, so that's a sexy thing. I shoot. What was it? There, there's small moments and they go by so fast that I know that there are more and you will see them too. There, there is overtly a, a couple of moments and I, God, I wish I could remember them. Yeah. Shame on me. So the Nazi, the censorship thing is going to be a common theme. And I think for the most part, the show is very low key about most of it, but we see it more. I don't know. Some shows have it really bad, really bad. What, where you can see the censorship really bad. Yeah. Where it's like painfully obvious yeah. Um, Can you give an example? I don't know. The first one I always think about is Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, okay. But uh, anytime there's like a reference to violence, it'll be like a game instead. Or it, it's all just sort of in the haze of my childhood. And I'm just starting to pull it out of my memory. So give me give me a little bit of time here over our next couple of episodes and maybe I'll have a couple. Okay. But um, – so we're talking about war and they actually show blood in one of the scenes, not from grandpa's grandpa's story is pretty straightforward, you know, like American exceptionalism and we won the war. And isn't that just great? Remember how great this war was. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gerald's dad is where things get more complicated because it's cool for people to like war heroes from World War II, but it's... Okay, so Gerald's dad tells this story about how he went to Vietnam, and he was a paper pusher, and he was fine with that. He's like, you know, I I kept things running smoothly, somebody had to do it, and I saved a guy one time, and... Overall, his story is, like, I think about as neutral as you could get for telling a Vietnam soldier story. But he yeah. kind of, I mean, he's kind of like my grandpa, who was in the military at the time and who was, like, in Vietnam as an air pilot. But he didn't see any – he didn't see any action. And I thank God for that. Um, and – the big tension that I saw throughout that entire storytelling is Gerald's expectations of his father. And Gerald sort of, to me, exemplified how young people are trained to like violence, specifically war heroes. So Gerald's like, did you kill anybody? Did you shoot a gun? And he really wants his dad to have killed somebody. And it was the first like time in this badly. Sh- yeah. And it's, I was sitting in this and I, I had a big moment of dissonance because it was so 
uncomfortable for me to see so plainly what is true. And that is that yeah, men are expected to fight for their country and to kill for their country. And they are all heroes and kids treat them and are raised to treat them like heroes for committing terrible, terrible violence. And I was yeah. just like, Gerald, I hate you right now. But I realize it's not Gerald's fault. Yeah, it's society's fault. I mean, he would probably grow up to realize how bad that was, I would hope. But at that moment, Gerald wasn't Gerald. Gerald was American children. Yeah. And I think that the message that the show was tackling wasn't as cutting as I would have liked it to have been. I think the show's message was people who support others and save others, even if they do mundane jobs, are still heroes. So it was like people who save others are heroes too, not just people who yeah. kill people. And I mean, that's a good enough, like, that was a good enough message for it to make. What I would have preferred was Gerald's dad to freak out and be like, you should not respect people for killing other people. That was a real teaching moment that I feel like the medium failed itself because they could not at that moment let Gerald's yeah. dad be the person that we needed him to be which was a person who should have told his son how shitty that was. Yeah. But that's my own personal hang-up, I suppose. I see what you are arguing for there, though, and I think that it's, like, valid. You well, know? Well, and I mean, the his... When Gerald finds out that he didn't kill anybody, he's really bummed out. And his like dad... He's disappointed and he talks shit on his dad to Arnold. And Arnold's like, what the fuck, Gerald? And his dad is super self-conscious about it. So that, tell his, that tells me his dad doesn't respect the fact that he didn't have to kill anybody enough. That he's still judging himself by this metric of, I didn't kill anybody, maybe... That's the respectable thing to have done. Yeah, is to murder. <laughs> is to murder for other, is like to murder, straight up murder other people. The show kind of ties it back in at the end because they go to the war memorials, which is the whole premise for the like this episode is that they're all traveling to Washington, D.C. to see the memorials. and Because it's Veterans Day. Because it's Veterans Day. And they go to the Vietnam Memorial and Gerald and his father meet the guy that he saved in the field because Gerald's dad was driving around in a war zone, to be fair. And a dude got shot and was abandoned. And Gerald's dad uses his papers to create a bandage and gets the dude back to a medic. And he, and he lives and they, they meet this person and his beautiful family like at this memorial. And Gerald learns that like, Look at all these people who wouldn't be alive if it weren't for your father. And so Gerald gets his respect back for his father. And it's like, 
it's more important that he saved somebody than it had killed somebody. But I still wanted it to just rip the underlying theme apart, which is war is terrible and it's never something to respect. Yeah, I mean, that would have been like a pretty dope message. I, I think that like actually there are quite a few episodes that play into the theme of like where the show wanted to go or tried to go and the ways in which it failed, you know, to do that. Like, for example, um, I have a lot of feelings about another double episode, um, Marriage. Can I can I talk about that or did you have something else you wanted to get to? Is this the one with their dreams? Yeah, with their dreams. Yes. Okay. So, Rhonda makes a cootie catcher, and she's predicting who everybody's going to marry in the class. And, like, surprise, surprise, um, Arnold comes out saying Helga 110 times. Literally 110 times. He does the cootie catcher, and it says that he's going to marry Helga. And so we see, and, like, Helga hears, and, like, she knows it's going on. Um, so we see what each of them dream about that night. And they're both dreaming about a situation in which they're married. And Helga's dream is, like, this is clearly the message that they want to, like, a subtle message that they want to send is Helga's dream. Because in Helga's dream... It's all about, like, her doing incredible things and Arnold just being someone who's, like, there and loving and supporting her and just, like, being around for her while she does all this awesome stuff. Uh, like, she's president. She's, like, basically a ninja. All of that's like, dope, by the way. It's dope. It's very cool. Um, super into it. Um, you know, and like, she's like just doing amazing stuff and she's just dreaming about like becoming like this really cool person and just sort of having Arnold by her side as like a confidant, you know, and a partner. Um, whereas like to Arnold, this is, um, a nightmare. Like he's having a nightmare about this. Uh, potential situation of a future in which he um, is married to Helga. And this is where the show fails. This is where the show completely trips over its own dick and um, like portrays a whole other different message that they, I think, in no way intended to portray, which is that Arnold is a petite misogynist. <laughs> um, Arnold's whole entire dream is basically about um how helga will completely fail to be traditionally feminine and he will be emasculated and how that will ruin his life basically is what the whole dream is now we get to an ending in his dream where he's like helga i know you're not actually this mean of a person and like she, like, opens up to him emotionally or whatever. And the next morning he tells Gerald, like, oh, actually, like, at the end of the day, it was um, it was kind of nice. You know, like, it, the, by the end of the dream, it was, it was nice. Um, but, like, it was just something that really stuck out to me, especially because in Helga's dream, like, I don't think that the show is, like, 
was intentionally being sexist because it was showing Helga doing all this like dope, powerful stuff and having these incredible like dreams and ambitions for herself and the way she sees herself. But um, Arnold's like nightmare of what it would be like to Helga is like she won't be traditionally feminine and I'll be completely emasculated by her and her family. Right. So this is one of those moments where I think that what kind of analysis you apply will dictate what you believe the central theme to be. Because what I saw was for sure all all of the all of the things having to do with gender roles and Arnold sort of applying this nothing could be worse than being married lens. That's there. That's there. What I interpreted Arnold's dream to be, because it was a nightmare, I I apply... So, okay, so psychologically, people care a lot about control. Uh, and not control over others, but psychologically, we know that believing that one has control over their lives in really any way predicts psychological well-being. And... There, there are all kinds of variables that you can look at, but like the biggie is called locus of control, which if you have an internal locus of control, that means that you see yourself as having agency and control, whereas external locus of control is where you don't see yourself really having control, that external factors are more powerful, and what kind of locus you take has consequences for psychological well-being, but also how you respond to obstacles, to struggles, to all sorts of things. And what I saw in this nightmare was Arnold, the nightmare was about lack of control. It wasn't about marriage. And I think the marriage was just a skin that was used to tell the story because Arnold it all starts because Arnold, yes, he is worried about marrying Helga, but I think the conflict is not that he has to get married. I think it's that he has to, he feels he's being forced to marry somebody he doesn't like. And then that central, like the doing it 110 times is kind of like shifting to you have no control. Like, the world is going to make this happen. You have external, low, like, so in this case, his nightmare is about having no control over his life. He's forced, he's basically forced to move in, not with Helga, but with the Patakis. He's forced to get a job at the Beeper Emporium. Like, he, he kind of just gets pushed along, and he objects, but he feels like he has no real agency. He feels like nobody helps him and that he's basically alone in a situation where he's forced to be there and the nightmare ends and this is why i think that this lens is the one i used the nightmare ends when he reasserts that he has agency and at the hmm. moment that he reasserts that he has agency he allows himself to like emotionally attach to the subject of the nightmare which is helga and I think that Helga's dream is not a nightmare in any, any way. So there's no conflict to resolve. It's all about living great things, 
Whereas Arnold's dream is more of kind of like a Freudian conflict going on and uh, not Freudian. It's about control. And so I see it sort of psychologically as that battle rather yeah. than a battle between the sexes in marriage. I think that was just, um, I think that was just, uh, to me, that's secondary. Sure. And I kind of actually, um, I think that's a valid take and I kind of see it the other way around, which makes sense given like your background in psychology and my background in political science. Right. Um, but the one other thing, one other thing that I want to say about that show, that's that episode, which is completely different to what I was just saying is like how incredibly sad it is that Arnold as someone who does not really hang out with Helga or their Patakis that much, knows exactly how messed up and sad Helga's home life is. Yeah. Her- in Arnold's dream, you see Helga's parents behave towards her and Helga behave towards her parents exactly as they do at times when we're seeing Helga's real life. To the point where Miriam falls asleep in the mashed potatoes. Yes. So, uh, um, so I, I think we can... I think we can agree that like, but like what we believe is central to that episode and whether or not it's very problematic depends on the lens that we're. Yeah, absolutely. And because we're talking about Miriam, we have to revisit her because I have even more evidence that she's an alcoholic now. Okay. Yeah. So first, so first of all, yes, but also we, we get to see later in the third season, we get to see it's like watching a gritty artsy movie because we get to see somebody's life be shitty and then them almost, almost escape. And then we get, we get to watch things just go back to baseline and it cuts to black and it's like Finn. It's like an artsy, it's, it, it's an artsy theme about how nothing really changes and everybody's shitty. And Helga's mom, basically like Bob gets hurt and Miriam takes over Bob's job and she's really good at it. And like so good at it. She's so happy. She, she starts talking normally. She clearly stops drinking and she goes to work. She's happy she has a better relationship with her daughter there for a little bit. And overall, it's like a positive message. It's like literally Bob is the cause of all her problems. And yeah. And the way that things return to status quo is also fucking heartbreaking because uh, so, so Miriam is very satisfied with her job. The problem is, is that at the beginning, this boost of agency and I, think she's not drinking creates this really intense bonding between Helga and her mother and and Helga loves it. She, she's like a little flower that's been starved for attention. So she loves this attention. Uh, Truly what I think is that she doesn't like the attention so much as she likes seeing her mother happy and that makes her happy. And so we get this period where Helga and her mother are bonding, but slowly Miriam starts to become more absorbed in work. And I think there's another message there that we can talk about how, what jobs do to families. But point is, point is, is that Helga asks Miriam, who has now basically completely forgotten Helga, 
Helga wants to keep bonding with her mother. And so she says, Mom, I would like you to come home with me so we can keep that thing that we just found. And the tragic part of all of this is that Helga doesn't understand that going home doesn't mean getting that mother back. It means getting the old Miriam back. And so Helga can never, it's like, like I said, it's like a terrible artsy movie. Helga can't get what she needs, even though she's doing nothing wrong. Miriam can't get what she needs, even though she's doing nothing wrong. She, she acquiesced to her daughter's request. What's more fucking noble than that? Like, yeah. And, and Bob goes back to work and nothing changes. It's exactly the fucking same as it was. And in fact, we even get more. It gets worse. I believe it, it, I, it seems worse to me. Yeah. It, I like from what we see in seasons four and five, I'm like, either they just decided to like double down on showing us that Miriam's an alcoholic or it's getting actually worse. Like she's drinking more. And we hear her say things like. I need a smoothie when something stressful happens. We at one point see her in a stressful situation, literally just with a blender drinking out of it. Yeah, they bring a blender to the beach house. Yeah. I And so I, I do want... Miriam has a moment where she's awesome. And... Is it when she's the one, are you thinking of the Beach House episode where she's bonding with Susie and it's two deeply unhappy women, like finding like happiness? <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, no, I'm still talking about Miriam and Helga in that one episode. And the only mistake that was made was not made by anybody. It was, it was work life balance. Just not, yeah. not happening. Um, Nobody did anything wrong. Yeah, no. Only, yeah, it's, only I was Bob. So fucking sad at the end of that episode. It it it's it was I I stopped watching. I was like Helga, no, Helga, no. And as an adult, you 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 you, it's like watching a car wreck in slow mo. Oh my god! Yeah, it and for you, sure is. And you're just like psychologically, nothing will change because. With, with mental problems or with, with significant life problems, oftentimes the biggest, the, the best way to fix a problem is to remove yourself from the environment in which the problem exists. So it's hard to tell people, you know, like, just fucking move if you're depressed. I realize that. I'm not telling people that that's what they should do. But psychologically, environments have a lot to do with enforcing moods and emotions on people. And so as a psychologist, I'm like, she's feeling better because she's, she, she's finding agency. She's getting freedom from Bob. And she's finding intrinsic value in what she's doing. And she's removing herself from the environment that enforces her problems. Like, it's like a quadruple whammy of great things for her. And Helga's like, come back home. And I'm like, that's literally, that, that's the same thing as suggesting an alcoholic go back to a bar. And yeah. I, I'm like, no, no, Helga, stop. But you can't, you can't tell Helga not to do it because her, her needs are perfectly valid. You're just like, 
well, of course you want to be closer to your mother. I'm not going to tell a nine-year-old child that you should sacrifice your relationship with your mother for your mother's happiness. Like, yeah. But at the same time, it's, so I, I stopped watching Hey Arnold for the rest of the night after that episode. I was very sad. You were too sad. <laughs> cool. And I was, as a yeah, psychologist, was I was frustrated. I was frustrated at the list of solutions I had for their problems that just fail when you realize that real life is messy and applying lessons is not easy when kids and feelings and yeah. substance abuse and, okay, is involved. So, like, I don't know if you've gotten to the episode where Bob um, thinks he has a heart attack. Like he thinks for a second he had a heart attack, but it was really just gas. But he's still like to him, it was still a near death experience. And he decided to like change his ways because he's an asshole. Um, but what happens in that episode is like, and I actually really liked the lesson of that episode taken in isolation, which is that Bob goes like way overboard, basically becoming a Hare Krishna and it's like getting rid of all their possessions. He's going to have them all walk barefoot to Oregon to live in a commune there. Like there's a yurt in the backyard. He becomes a vegetarian, all of this. And Helga explains this to Arnold because he's like, being Arnold and like, Helga, what's wrong? You know? Um, and Arnold literally said, that's extreme. And so like Helga takes him back to the beeper shop and the lesson, what ends up happening is he comes back and home and he's wearing his normal clothes and he wants to eat meat and he's getting other stuff back. And that moving is too drastic, but he's going to only work six days a week and he's going to have a veggie garden in the backyard and he's going to keep the yurt. And so the lesson there is moderation. Right. Like, which is a really good lesson. It's like you need balance in your life, balance between work and spirituality. Like, but you can't like you can't be have all work or all spirituality. Like there's moderation is a good thing. Balance is a good thing, which is a really, really great message. And I was really happy to hear it. But Bob Pataki needs to change everything about his life. Yeah. um, But and like just compare it to what we see happen in the episode where Miriam experiences a big life change and Bob is allowed to come to see that he just needs moderation. He needs to balance work with something else in his life and he actually gets to experience growth. It's not just a return to the status quo. Whereas Miriam, the lesson isn't moderation. It's not work-life balance. Is that like you're letting by working outside of the home so hard, you are inherently letting your daughter down. And the only way to solve that is to return to the status quo, like wherein you were miserable. And like Miriam doesn't get to grow. And she doesn't get to find balance. I feel like that's kind of a warning though. Like I, and, and, and anybody with a brain can still see that it's not Miriam's fault. It's definitely Bob is the problem. Like Bob is the person that needs to change themselves. And because if Bob were supportive of his daughter, she could get equal doses of both parents and she could still work. Like, yeah, I guess to me, it was just like, look at how shitty this is. It could be great. But because Bob is a slob on the couch. Yeah, no, Bob's a piece of shit. Like, fuck Bob Pataki. Like. That's a major thing. Let's see. Um, discussion of men in Hey Arnold that I hate. Um, Bob Pataki, Curly. Curly is the worst. Oscar. Have you? 
Oscar Kokoschka also. Which, I was okay. trying to do a transition, actually, because I wanted to talk about Curly. Okay, so let's talk about Curly then. Uh, just spoiler alert, uh, we find out that Oscar can't read. and Yeah, and things make so much sense That does <laughs> once we find that out. Okay, that does color some of the problems he has working, but don't let it fool you. He's still a manipulative bum. Oh, yeah, he's still, like, a bad person. He's still a bad um, person. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Curly, have you seen the episode Curly's Girl? No. Okay, so, like, you know that, like, Curly's, like, weird and obsessed with, he's, like, obsessed with Rhonda, and... Uh, Curly is, sorry, I have to say this before we go further, Curly is legit the kind of dude who would grow up to shoot up a school. Yes, okay, and this is what I'm about to go on about. He is legitimately, like, a nice guy TM slash incel. That... That is who Curly is because we so basically what happens in this episode is like Rhonda gets herself into a situation in which she's going to get in trouble with her parents um, because she like ruins the mink that her dad got her mom for her birthday. And so but Curly, apparently his family owns dry cleaners. So Curly swoops in to save her and keep her from getting in trouble with his parents with her parents and in exchange Rhonda has to pretend to be his girlfriend for a week and um he like really dictates the terms to her on which like she pretends to be his girlfriend and he keeps insisting to her that like by the end of the week she'll come around and she'll see how great he is and she really she'll really want to be with him and so like in the course of her pretending to be his girlfriend he like puts her hand in his back pocket and all this stuff right and so Rhonda is like this dude is a fucking creep like and I don't want to have anything to do with him so as soon as it's over she like publicly breaks up with him and Curly looks sad and then everyone starts to hate Rhonda because how horrible of a shrew is Rhonda that she would break Curly's heart like this and so Rhonda can't deal with the fact that now people are like mad at her and sympathetic with Curly. So for some fucking reason, rather than just telling everybody what Curly was doing, she decides that the um, solution is to turn it around, pretend to get back together with him, and then eventually have be able to spin it so that people will be back on her side, right? But in the course of this, Curly goes, of course, way overboard and literally assaults Rhonda. He literally, when she just wants to say, like, hello, he, like, grabs her physically, dips her down, and plants a big fat kiss on her that she clearly doesn't want because she immediately, like, throws him off of her and is clearly in a significant amount of distress from this situation. And I'm like, Curly's a fucking creep. Like, he's a little, like, incel, nice guy TM creep. Like, Rhonda should have told everyone exactly the way that he was blackmailing her. And um, he doesn't deserve anybody's sympathy. He's a piece of shit. I hate Curly. Curly's the worst. Yeah. No, I mean, he's... Wow. Yeah, Curly's the worst. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and there's also another later episode where it just, like, it's a smaller part, but um, 
just colored with the Rhonda situation. He just gets absolutely furious that he wants to be the one to tell the urban legend this time. Um, and they don't let him because Gerald is the keeper of the tale. Uh, and Curly gets like absurdly mad about this situation. Like, so angry about it and i'm like yeah you're a little psycho well he's the kind of person who thinks he should have like he's oppressed and he doesn't have control and so he freaks out when anybody takes any kind of control away from him i mean he's kind of like a little maga oh my god he is guys hot take he is a maga chud <laughs> what a cuck <laughs> oh man oh man oh my god yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i i so hate that's all i had to say about that particular point i just really wanted to talk about like how curly's a fucking creep and like i was like not cool with that episode because i'm like no you like you allowed that to be too okay like you weren't even saying it was okay and you still let it be like way too okay <laughs> yeah you know I don't think the show was equipped to deal with our analysis from 20 years in the future. That's true. I, I don't think they knew what was coming. I don't think so either. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm going to propose a plan. We should talk about Chocolate Kid, and then we should talk about Harold and the okay. fat. Yes. Yes, let's talk about those things. So, uh... This may not be a long, long deal, but I just want to say y'all should remember Chocolate Kid, who up until the fourth season is low, just like a low key background character who acts like a heroin addict. Right. He's like, chocolate, chocolate, give me chocolate. He's yeah. always disheveled and messy. And you find him in alleyways eating chocolate, 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 covered in chocolate. And, and so it gets like. The metaphor is painfully obvious because there's an episode that centers around Arnold trying to get Chocolate Kid off of chocolate, and it highlights the struggles of getting people with addictions to quit. And yeah, like, starkly. It's like, could not be more obvious. And, I mean, there's a happy ending. Chocolate Kid does get off chocolate, but... Uh, so the 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 of co of course the fucking bully, like this would be the Wolfgang. kind of okay okay Wolfgang will grow up into the kind of person who will laugh at an alcoholic and be giving them shots and be like well don't go to your AA meeting you should just sit here and drink with me that is the kind of yeah. person that Wolfgang will grow up to be because Wolfgang is like yo I bet you can't go two weeks without chocolate and then I'll reward you. With a 10-pound... With 10-pound bag of chocolate. So he's just like, I'm going to facilitate you getting better only to make you worse, right? And so Arnold gets involved believing that Chocolate Kid really wants to quit chocolate. And Chocolate Kid does believe in Arnold and finds a lot of goodness in Arnold's support. But <laughs> like a lot of addicts, once the period is up and he's... He's put like 
your Wolfgang relapse puts a immediate. Bit, like an immediate relapse because why not? Like Wolfgang puts a huge bag of chocolate right in front of you. That's like getting a person who's just starting to wean themselves off of heroin, like a needle full of heroin right there. Yeah. Like right there in yeah, front of them. Yeah, and it's like they even actually have a rock bottom scene where essentially Wolfgang's like, you finished all that chocolate already? You're pathetic. Like dance, bitch. Like, and they're throwing malted mi- milk balls at him and like making him dance for malted milk balls. And he goes and, into- like, And Curly like breaks down. And he goes into dumpsters and like he basically shows low key rock bottom. And so he finally like Arnold goes back to him and like Arnold has if you replace the word chocolate with alcohol, Arnold word for word gives a your life will be so much better speech without quote chocolate unquote yeah like the 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 thing that are the thing that arnold says is the thing you say to an addict to help them yeah get off a drug okay as someone who is almost a doctor of psychology like what do you think about arnold's uh technique for helping um helping uh, uh chocolate boy kick where he's like Let's get to the root of why you like chocolate so much. Why do you oh, eat chocolate? So I, this is what I was going to talk about, and I forgot, but you reminded me. So this is fabulous. So treatment of addiction is obviously a huge area of research, and it really depends a lot. So Okay. So have you ever heard of Rat, rat Park? Yes. Okay, so yeah, for those of you, who- I'm the I'm the layman, so I'll give the explanation of rat part because it'll be faster. So everyone's heard that um, if you give a rat the ability to give itself food or cocaine, that it'll just like press the cocaine button over and over again until it dies um, instead of feeding itself. But actually, those experiments were in. Um, like this really barren area where like the rat didn't have anything to play with or any other rats. So the scientists makes rat park and it's like this really, it's like rat paradise, all kinds of stimuli and like cool things and other rats to play with. And they also have this cocaine option. And what rats in that situation will do is they'll just occasionally take cocaine. Like they'll just use it as an occasional, like this is one of the many stimuli I can choose off my menu of stimuli and it doesn't become a problem for them. And they live healthy little rat lives. Yeah, and a lot of, like, rats even quit. Like, rats won't even self-administer, too. Um, So the point is, is that enriched environments tend to prevent drug-seeking behavior that is extreme. That lack of social interaction, lack of, like, so boredom, sadness, there are precipitating factors to addiction. And the idea that Arnold goes on is a very good one, which is it's possible. It's not the only reason because there are people who have perfectly happy lives that are addicted to substances, but mm-hmm. that you are at greater risk of addiction in an impoverished environment. And they find out that chocolate kid is severely unhappy because his parents don't really interact with him, but he loved his nanny and his nanny had to leave. And what happened is that his nanny always gave him chocolate. So we get actually what I call, what I would say is a double whammy. He has a, he's a conditioned response to his nanny where 
chocolate is good. So chocolate is associated with his nanny. So chocolate therefore reminds him of his nanny and it feels good. And you also get, he's lacking the social interaction he used to get from his nanny. So uh, he's in a more impoverished environment, which puts him at a greater risk for substance abuse of chocolate. Mm-hmm. So you get Arnold really having a very perceptive strategy. When we're dealing with real addiction, Arnold's strategy is usually used in tandem with other treatments. A lot like yeah. sometimes therapy is enough to find the root problem, fix it, and people's addictions like go away. But that's not always true. But for a kid show, for chocolate, like Arnold's strategy is very perceptive and hits on this sort of I can't unimpoverish your environment, but I can psychologically get to the root of why you use the substance. Yeah. I also thought another technique that Arnold used, which I thought was like pretty cool, was basically trying to find Chocolate Boy um, methadone or nicotine gum and trying to find something else that he could use to like like deal with that like hand to mouth kind of response that is also like as someone who's addicted to cigarettes like one of the hardest parts of like kicking that after you get the nicotine out of your system is just like like the hand to mouth and stuff like that so he gets like uh he gets uh chocolate boy on radishes and it's really funny because at the end of the episode we see that he's like really into the radishes now so like i don't know maybe chocolate boy also just kind of well, he's no, the environment is still impoverished. I was going to say maybe he has an ad- addictive personality, but like he's still in that impoverished environment. So, right. Some of the other factors that determine that uh, determine like both drug seeking and uh, abuse have to do with like there are certain genetic predictors. There are like polymorphisms in dopamine receptors that make them like more susceptible to substances affecting them. There are so so one of the issues with replacing one addiction with another is that you're not really treating the addictive behavior itself. You're just changing mm-hmm. the target. And if you can change the target to something healthy, that's good. But if you yeah. like go to nicotine gum or vaping, like there are a lot of stories about giving people lower doses, slowly weaning people off is important. So like with nicotine gum, you're supposed to use it like smaller and smaller doses. And that facilitates weaning off. People who vape, who have success, quit smoking, they slowly lower the like the nicotine content of the juices that they're using. So it's the same concept. But if you switch from one addiction to another, you might find that the person just relapses because you're not really treating the addictive behavior. You're just changing what they're using. And that's kind of fragile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So like, who knows with poor chocolate boy, but, um, speaking also of compulsive behaviors, I think we also wanted to have a discussion about, um, about Harold, which we may, there may be some points that you and I agree or disagree on about this. I don't know. You, you Paige sent me a message where she was like, I'm very angry about after she Um, watched this episode. Oh, I can't remember what we disagreed about, though, because it was a couple of nights ago. We didn't disagree about anything. I'm just wondering, maybe, because, okay, my struggle, Harold 
Harold has always been beefy. Mm-hmm. He's a husky kid. He's a husky kid. The and full fat shaming use of that. People jokes. Kids make fun of him. But and he's also he's, constantly yelling that he's hungry and stuff. But he also has never shown sensitivity. I would argue that you can't really show subconscious processes in a TV show. So Harold has probably gotten negative fat stereotypes ingrained into him, just like all these kids, because that's the society that we live in. Now, Harold decides he... Harold does not decide to do this intrinsically. He Harold sees a commercial about weight loss and a cruise. And I think somebody calls him fat. But it's like an especially cutting insult. And so for it's the first time... It's stinky and they're fucking mean, so... It, it, for the first time, we see it consciously affect Harold. And so he's worried about his weight. He asks his parents who are f- no fucking help at all. And then um, you've got that whole, like, the wife, the, the mother wants to believe that their child is perfect and is like, oh, he doesn't need to lose a little weight. And the dad's kind of like, well, maybe we should care a little bit. And then the wife is like, well, I'm, like, bigger. Like, what are you trying to say about me? And the parents just bicker. And not neither of them, regardless of what your perspective on this issue is, neither of them is helpful to their son because they just don't care or they don't have the right tools to deal with this issue. So Harold sees a commercial that night for a fat cruise to go and lose weight. And so he goes on this cruise and then he comes back and he's even fatter. Like he's huge. He gained a hundred pounds. He, a kid gained a hundred pounds. So he really starts having a hard time kids make fun of him even worse and Arnold he enlists Arnold to help him lose weight and eventually Harold gets a really good message that helps him get back to where he was before and there are just a lot of messages in this episode about fat and my biggest problem is that there's a complete decoupling of like the show is not about health. The show, the, the episode is about fat, which those yeah. are, those are correlated, but they're not, oh, they're, they, you don't have to talk about them as if they're the exact same thing. Um, yeah, because like, they're not the exact same thing, you know? So my, um, one of the things that I guess, I think we might have ended up, I, I predicted we might disagree on is that, I don't actually necessarily think it's a bad idea for his parents to encourage him to lose weight a little bit. Um, childhood I obesity mean, is a serious problem. And yeah, those pre- they, um, there are strong predictions to later outcomes. And I think the issue is in the execution and the mode of attack and not necessarily, like, none of it is health-motivated, which is a problem. None of it is intrinsically motivated. It's all shame-based, and that's a problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem. And I think, so I have, like, really complicated 
feelings about this episode and they're coming from a couple of angles because okay for one it's like Harold is always shown to be a husky kid and he's shown to have really poor eating habits which like if if they're going to do anything health motivated his parents should encourage him to change his eating habits right um to not eat so much of foods that are bad for him Right. But he's also very active. Like Harold is always out with the other kids, like riding his bikes, bike, playing baseball, all like kickball, all this stuff. And he's never shown to have really any difficulty in keeping up with the other kids and doing this. So, you know, he has poor eating habits that will be a problem for him as he gets older and those should change. But we really have no reason to think that he is like an unhealthy kid just because he's bigger. So there's that. And then I kind of was bothered by the fact that the show basically tried to do a fat positive episode where, like, Harold hadn't had a problem with being fat. And eventually Arnold's just like, well, if you were happy with your body the way that it was before you, like, gained this additional weight, then just, like, get your body back to where it was when you were happy with it. I am kind of bothered by the fact that they kind of had the audacity to make this episode where for the entire run of the show, also after this episode, they continually use Harold's weight as like easy fodder for cheap jokes. They just constantly calling him fat, constantly having him yell about he's hungry, you know, things, uh, food that they needed for other purposes disappearing and all Harold was hungry and all that. And like that kind of really bothered me because there's nothing whatsoever fat positive about this show. And then they make this fat positive episode. I don't know. Yeah, I, that feels like a meta problem, like a, sh- a problem with the show and not the episode specifically for sure. It's yeah. inconsistent. Like, it's a big inconsistency. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I feel like because they're all kids, of course, it's all shame-based. And it's not like we want kids to be healthy. No, it's like we want kids not to be made fun of. And research shows that that's a terrible way to motivate health behaviors. It just is. Like, yeah. It health behaviors are best when they're intrinsically motivated, when they're based in support, when people have clear tools to success and shame only hinders health. So if people really care about health of others, they should be like supportive and provide tools and never shame. That's just, yeah, that's just psychology, man. I'm just telling you what, what predicts people getting better or healthier. Okay. I have one more small criticism and, and then I want to talk about things that I liked about the show and wrap up if that's cool with you. Yes. Okay. So one more small criticism is, um, so to introduce this, I have to reference another podcast. Um, but there's an episode of Trill Billy Workers Party where one of the hosts, Tom, um, in their interview with, uh, women working in Appalachia and changing the image of women in the region, uh, mentions the sexualization of the hillbilly woman. And he brings up like Daisy Duke and Ella May and the Beverly Hillbillies and how this um, the hillbilly woman is this sort of uh, 
Im- sexually improper because she's too dumb to know any better, like sexually aggressive, highly sexual figure. Are you talking about the fucking episode with Lila? Like the reverse yes. Lila? Yes. Um, I'm talking about the episode where Arnold goes to visit his t- country cousin, Arnie, and it's this crazy reverse world of all his friends. And there's this girl named Lulu who's like Lila, but she is really sexually aggressive like she's like just like lila but she's more sexualized and she likes arnold and she's super sexually aggressive um even to the point where at one point she tries to kiss arnold and arnold's like what no don't do that like we're nine you know and like she intentionally is like falling all over arnold and all this that and the other so it was just that's just kind of a vague thought about the sexualization of the hillbilly woman in that context And then we also see this kind of like Jezebel figure or like Delilah even in this episode where um, like a 13 year old girl moves in next door to Gerald and Gerald really likes her and she really likes Gerald's older brother. And so she goes out with Gerald to be closer to Gerald's older brother. And whenever Gerald leaves the room, she's like extremely sexually aggressive with Gerald's older brother who is older than her and allows uh, discord to be sown between these two brothers who already have a hard time getting along so she can achieve her goal, right, and of getting with Gerald's brother, even though she knows that Gerald's brother is not into it. Um, at the end of the episode, she finally is just like, no, this was wrong. What I did was wrong. Like, I'm going to, like, leave you guys alone and, like, not be shitty. And it's framed as being kind of more about the relationship between Gerald and his brother. But I don't know. She's just, like, kind of a weird Jezebel figure. And so even though all of the like main girls on the show get to be like really interesting, complex characters. These two girls that only appear in one episode each are these weird, like devil woman sexual aggressors in a way that I thought was really weird and played into tropes that we see a lot of other places. I definitely with the, the angle of the Appalachian women being sexualized, like, that's super poignant, I feel like. I feel uh, it seems unintentional because they were doing reverse world that, of course, mm-hmm. you'd get a bad girl with for Lulu. And that feels like a nice girl for Helga, right? Or mm-hmm. Hilda, as she's called. So on the one <laughs> hand, I feel like maybe they were like, hey, let's do this. And then, like, things kind of creep crept in to that stereotype yeah. since they needed a bad girl instead. And, um, I mean, country stereotypes appear numerous times in the show. So it's really not, I guess, surprising to see that. Yeah. It's problematic, but it's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if you've seen the episode that I'm talking about with, a uh, Gerald, but I don't know. That one made me feel kind of weird too. What, like so the, I don't know. Like the trifling bitch getting in between the family sort of yeah. stereo. Like that's, a, that's totally a thing. Like pitting brothers against each other. That's a total stereo. Like that's a big trope. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it was just weird to me. Cause it's like, typically I think that the portrayal, as much as I criticize that one episode for showing Arnold, like I thought that the show was not misogynist, but that Arnold was a misogynist maybe. Um, 
as much as I criticize that, for the most part, the show has really, really positive portrayals of women, like different kinds of women doing well, different things, women who get to be like unhappy, <laughs> you know. Um, Arnold really, also is written by a bunch of different writers. Let's not forget that the like the show uses different writers. So, so yeah, the, yeah. Some I of the inconsistency shows use different writers. Yeah, some of the inconsistency can be chalked up to writers with different views, styles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, if we're doing kind of a wrap up of how we feel about the show, I feel more strongly about the show when I started and I feel much more positively about the show when I started. And I think that overall it's just way better than I remember. Yeah, I definitely think like I did not watch as much Hey Arnold when I was a kid. I mean, enough that I remembered it and knew who the characters were. But I loved this show so much more as an adult. It's so good. It's incredibly rich. And like even just for like the Easter eggs that are way more fun as an adult, like constant high culture references or other um, just regular pop culture references and really great like comedians and actors showing up like there's an episode with Bob Odenkirk in it who is Saul from Better Call Saul um and Breaking Bad you know um so there's just that richness to it and it's just like it's a show with just so much heart and so much willingness to tackle these really difficult topics I really wished we had had time to talk about uh, Glad uh, Councilman Gladwell and the political activism oh, episode. Glad hand, actually. Glad hand. <laughs> um, just know that there's a great episode about local po- politics, like local politics, and it has a positive message that I think is a little bit um, sort of rose tinted, but it kids should be seeing successful political action on a local level. And I think that this show is the first show that I ever saw people vote in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It forever made me believe that the polls were just two people's faces with hands next to them. And you just pulled the right hand for like the person you wanted to vote for. Cause they have a weird polling system where you grab a person's hand and pull it down. And it like <laughs> marks you as a vote yeah. for, for, for somebody. But anyway, I think yeah. great, great stuff. Oh, so good. You should yeah, watch it. You should like, watch the whole show. You really should. Because much like a lot of the contemporary cartoons that I love the most, this show has just like this unfailingly kind heart to it. This sort of like optimism about the world. But at the same time, in a way that's real, in a way that like there are these very hard things in the world and sometimes people are really mean to each other and hurt each other and and sometimes bad things happen for just no reason whatsoever. Um, But like people are still basically good and there's like goodness and beauty in the world and it's worth your time to be kind and to help others, you know, I think is really at the heart of the show. And that just... Makes me feel all gooey inside. And the show's not afraid to go there. The show is not afraid to go to places that shows like this might not otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, like, highly, highly recommend Hey Arnold. You should watch the whole show. Absolutely. Um, so I, I could literally talk about it forever. But unfortunately, yeah. we must we must carry forward lest we be lost forever. 
we are going to do Doug next because strap in. <laughs> I I I didn't watch that much Doug to be honest. So I watched hella Doug. I I'm this is kind of the reverse where I'm taking your word for how good the show may or may not be. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm really excited to watch Doug. Um, but yeah, like I know we're, we're running a little long here. And so those of you who are still listening to the show, uh, thank you. Share with us your thoughts on the show. Leave a review. Um, in your review, tell us that the episode was too long as long as you still give us five stars. <laughs> I, if you say it's too long, I don't know that I'll really fix it. Yeah, like we're doing the best we can. Like we're both verbose people. <laughs> I mean, I can try, but I, I literally will not make you that promise. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us, tweet us at Animates at, uh, on Twitter, spelled just the way that it is for the podcast. If you have longer thoughts you want to share, you can email us. Uh, it's animates at gmail.com, and there's the number eight instead of the AT in there. Um, and as usual, if you're liking it, please, please, please subscribe to the show, rate it, um, tell people that you think will like the show to listen to it. Um, it will really, we really want people who we don't know personally to get a chance to listen to the show, and so it'll really help us if you do that. All right, uh, that's all for tonight. I'm Chris. I'm Paige, and this has been Animates.